Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about the spoiler section for Earshot. And I'm excited about this episode because we get to talk a little bit about Jonathan. And he's a character that has not really been addressed fully um, in the episodes previous because he's been a very side minor character. I mean, I think if you're watching the show in real time, and you suddenly jump to like season six or even the beginning of season seven, you'd be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe Jonathan's here. I can't believe that he's such a prevalent character. Um, and I think he's a character that often gets very forgotten in discussions, but he actually has a really decent arc in the Buffyverse. I think it's cut a little short, but as far as characters go, we know his fears, we know his hopes, we know his desires, and he has a start and a finish and it ends in a satisfactory way. And so I think in a lot of ways, his arc is more complete than some of even the major characters in the Buffyverse. So I just, I'm excited to talk about him. I, I don't think that his arc ends short at all. I mean, honestly, he stays around way longer than I thought he was. I remember the first time <laughs> I watched this, like each season he kept coming back and I was like, like what? Hello? But <laughs> I love his arc. I love it so much. I I think that it is so intriguing and fascinating to watch even the background characters in Sunnydale to somehow play a part because um, it makes sense. I mean, there's so much going on around them. Like, how are they not going to kind of dabble a bit? Um, and I love Jonathan. I think he makes some really stupid mistakes. And mm -hmm. I think he's a really interesting character to watch because we really just see him kind of get bulldozed over. And I like that he finally dies by sticking up. He changes the pattern and stuff. And I think that that's a really cool way to end his character. You guys think he had a satisfactory ending though? Well, I was mostly referring to what you guys had said before. You guys think that it should have been Jonathan who kept going in season seven and that it was Andrew who died at the Hellmouth. And that was actually one of my questions that I was going to ask you. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit later on. We're kind of jumping ahead. But do you guys think that Andrew co-opted Jonathan's arc? I have a very complicated relationship with Jonathan because I enjoy his character. And I really think, like Sarah said, I really feel like for a side character, he's kind of delved a lot more into that. I think the audience realizes until mm -hmm. he's gone. And then you're like, oh, I didn't even realize he was kind of like a pretty, I don't want to say like full-fledged character, but like I feel like I understood him pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um I think because I understood him well, I think I got I get really frustrated and angry with him in season six. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also understand his motives. And I've I've learned that I'd rather watch stuff and be angry or frustrated with my characters as long as they make sense. And like um if I'm watching a show and they make stupid decisions, but it makes sense for and I can believe it and understand their motivations, I really feel like I'd rather watch that than just like a show that just is all over the place and the character is not very consistent. Um, but I'm not going to lie and be like, 
I'm very disappointed with him in the later parts of the show. Um, but I really feel like when he starts to kind of cut corners or um, not necessarily, he doesn't really stand up to Warren that much, but he definitely tries to like stop things. I It makes me sad because I'm like, oh, like he dies like as soon as he starts like trying to make the right decisions. So I, I, it kind of makes me sad because I'm like, oh, like this is Jonathan like I've been wanting to see. And so he, I feel like to me, he's more of a tragic character and I don't know. He feels kind of unfinished to me, but I do really like how they kind of planted seeds in his motivation and his character for seasons. So I feel like even though he makes stupid decisions, like I really understand him and I do kind of wish he did stick around more than Andrew, but I will say Andrew has grown on me as a character. When he first took around, the first couple of times I watched it, I was like, oh, this stowed over Jonathan. Are you kidding me? And then I think <laughs> as I rewatched season seven, he's actually one of the highlights of season seven for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because as much as I like Jonathan, I honestly, I like the fact that he dies in a, in a sad <laughs> way only because, no, because there's actual repercussions for his actions. Jonathan mm-hmm. screws up for seasons. He makes a lot of mistakes that causes a lot of pain. Um, and yeah, it's it's Warren who's leading the pack in that regard. But, you know, Jonathan was not a victim. Like, he definitely was used in a lot of ways, but he made his choices. And he willingly chose to go against Buffy multiple times, knowing the kind of person that Buffy was. And, you know, finally, like, he makes one final action. And I do think that does redeem him. But I also do think that it's like, you know what? I think it's okay to show that not every character gets to live from their bad decisions. Like, we do have a few that get to, you know, like Angel makes bad decisions, Faith, Willow, and they all get redemption. But I feel like it's also good to show the characters that screwed up and had to pay their life with it, even Anya. I mean, like, If you really think about it, she's really not the same after she made those mistakes and she kind of pays with her life for it. Uh, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where it's weird that it's not Jonathan in the end and then it's Andrew. But I also kind of like that another character was given a chance to kind of take the screen a bit. And I think that if Andrew had died, it would not have been as impactful. I think seeing Jonathan die was really shocking because we've seen him for First seasons he's been on the screen and so for him to finally die was crazy yeah. for them choosing to have Andrew stay I like what they did with his storyline because the, even though he kills his best friend in a blind moment of passion because he has a more of a loyalty to Warren or is in love with him who knows whichever one um, I like the fact that he he gets mercy And he gets kindness for a whole season. And at the end, him and Anya are pretty much in the same boat of being like, we both have done crappy things, but we're going to choose to fight and like kind of allow ourselves to be forgiven. And I like that they did that with his character. Um, Again, like I feel like he's really grown on me. I think that for the longest time, I was always kind of sad that it wasn't Jonathan. But since he did stay, I like what they did with his character. 
Yeah, I think I have mixed feelings about it, and I agree with you guys. I love Andrew. I think that he had some really great moments. I think that he added a lightheartedness to season seven that was sorely lacking. I wish so much that Andrew wasn't needed because I think if they had made Willow or Xander maybe a little bit more lighthearted, they wouldn't have needed Andrew. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, he kind of detracts from the main characters, but I don't think that that would have been, I don't think it would have been impossible for him to not have been a part of the season. I think that they just, they chose to put too much attention on newer characters and not focus on the older ones. And so I think he a a lot of times gets swept under the rug of, oh, this is why season seven was so bad. It's because of characters like Andrew, Um, which is a huge shame because Andrew adds so much to season seven. Um, And I think one of the biggest things that he adds to the season is I was thinking about um, the episode Storyteller, which is all about Andrew and is basically like the beginning of his redemption where Buffy brings him to the seal and he thinks she's going to kill him. And she basically brings him to that point where he has to face what he did to Jonathan. And um, she has to use his tears to to close the seal. And I think that is one of the most underrated moments of season seven. I never hear people talk about that episode and I literally cannot wait till we get there. And I think that moment would not be there and would not be impactful if it wasn't for Jonathan's death. Um, And I think that Andrew is specifically used in that moment, in that, in that uh, episode to show that Buffy is still ruled by empathy and being able to see through other people's pain and see their experiences. And I think that that's very, very similar. Like the speech that she gives Jonathan, the tower is very similar to the speech she gives Andrew. Um, And in some ways, I honestly think the speech she gives Andrew and Storyteller is better than the one in Earshot, although I'm sure I'm going to get like so much hate mail for that. Um, I always think of that episode and I always point to that scene when so many people are like, oh, Buffy becomes so cold and callous in season seven. And I'm like, no, the amount of compassion and empathy that she exhibits for Andrew, that she lets him live and that she brings him to that point where he realizes what he's done from then on. Andrew strives to live differently. And we even see like up until season at the end of season seven and chosen, he's like, why am I still alive? You know? And then from then on an angel and stuff. So I don't know. I'm this a kind of a, a rambling, but I wish in a lot of ways that it had been Jonathan in front of that seal because I think that it would have been a really cool full circle moment from earshot. Um, but I'm also kind of okay with where Jonathan end up as well because I think that is also um, a cool full circle moment. But All right. So before we delve into Jonathan a little bit more, because I have a few more things to say, I wanted to talk about a couple other things in the episode, just a few small things and then some bigger things. So uh, we have the parallels um, between this episode and graduation day where Angel kneels before Buffy in the bed or while she's in the uh, in the fever or whatever sickness she has. And then this is also a mirror to when Buffy does the same thing when Angel is poisoned from Faith's start in graduation day. Um, And I I was reflecting on their relationship, and I think the past couple of episodes have really brought out the best in Angel and Buffy's relationship, and it makes me really sad because starting the very next episode, things start to take a turn, Um, but I really love the mirroring that has happened between them throughout this season and will continue to happen um, just in their personal lives and in their relationship. Also, could you guys imagine watching the prom 
and not this episode and being like, why the heck is Jonathan the one giving Buffy this award and this umbrella and being like, what? (laughs) Could you imagine first time watchers like not having this backstory? Like, no. Oh, my gosh. I cannot watch the prom without at least tearing up because of this episode. Yes. And I think it's also important, too, because people need to have seen Buffy like actively slaying or actively doing something in front of everyone for us to be like, okay, that's why they would know versus it being kind of like a an open secret. Not that everyone doesn't already know, but I think for the viewers, it helps to have something to point back to. Honestly, one of the best payoffs as a viewer in a TV show or movie I've honestly ever seen. And this Mm -hmm. is not just coming from somebody who's like obsessed with Buffy. Like (laughs) I I can't – no, I really can't think of like other than like No Way Home, (laughs) you know? Like I really can't think of like a better payoff as like a viewer of somebody who like loves this lore, loves this universe, loves these characters. And it's done in in a way that's intelligent. It's done in a way that's believable. And it's done in a way that doesn't seem obvious. And I feel like it's really hard to blend all those three together, especially the obvious part. Like sometimes you can see things being set up for episodes and episodes or even seasons. And so when it comes, you can kind of expect it. And I really feel like I grew up on so many movies and TV shows that sometimes I really feel like I've gotten pretty good at predicting plot lines Mm -hmm, or like – the ending of movies where I'm like, uh, like there's the only way that they can wrap this up, you know, in a taste like, and I can guess pretty much like the ending of a lot of movies. But like, I feel like, again, like, like I said, like it's, it's done in a way when looking back, you're like, oh, thank God. Like they actually picked up on a lot of these things. And like, um, the students did recognize or whatever, but it would also be believable because they also set up the world in Sunnydale where, the vampires can dust and then people can easily make excuses and forget about it. So I feel like if they never addressed it, it would have been fine. It would have been like, oh, like it's, I feel like that's like an itch I really wanted scratched. But like it's one of those situations where like he – it gets all quiet and you don't expect that Buffy's going to get recognized. You kind of think that Buffy's going to get her high school moment. Like I always kind of figured Angel would show up. That's one of those plot lines where I was like, he, there's no way he's not showing up. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, that would be out of his character. But, like, her getting that award was so, like, I remember being, like, blown away. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think we're I, just used to Joss not giving us the things that we want. True. <laughs> so we so the, the whole Buffy Venom like- is starving for it, so we're <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> so we mentioned this before in Go Fish. I know. I'm sorry. Trigger warning for Leah. <laughs> um, but in a lot of ways, Jonathan and Willow are very similar. And have very similar arcs. Both are insecure. Both want people to like them and not feel so alone. And both of them resort to magic to make people like them. And I'm thinking specifically of Superstar in season four, which is interesting because it corresponds right along with the season where Willow starts abusing magic for the first time. Um, and in Go Fish, Willow talks about Jonathan feeling resentful. So she says he delved into the black arts as a way of kind of projecting how she's feeling onto him in that episode. And then we have this episode where she again interrogates Jonathan. And it feels like she's projecting this entire time where she's talking about how we all have fantasies more powerful and respected. Sometimes the fantasy isn't enough, Jonathan. And I have this theory, and I think I talked about this in the spoiler section for Go Fish, but I have this theory that Willow is the one that plants the idea of abusing magic in Jonathan's brain. Just because he probably had no like no 
thought or feeling of revenge or vengeance or even like using magic uh, to get what he wanted until Willow kept interrogating him about it. And he's like, wait a minute, that's actually a really good idea. I was like, wow, this seems like very on the nose for Superstar. But I, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think that she's really planting it to him. I think he's just like, what is happening? (laughs) Um, But the whole time, every time they have interactions, I I always just think that like he doesn't really take her that seriously. He's just kind of uncomfortable. Um, But I also like every time she talks to him, I always think about in um, Two to Go when Mm -hmm. he's in the car and he goes like, it's like Willow. I mean, like we all like grew up with her. It's crazy that this is like the same person. Like, obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but like that whole scene makes me really sad. And every time they're in conversations with each other, even when she's ter- interrogating him, you can tell that he's like more uncomfortable than scared. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It just makes me a little sad. I'm like, oh. Deciding to have Jonathan be a part of the trio in season six was a brilliant move because audiences understood where he was at. I think it humanized the trio. Um, And I think it's good to always understand how people get to that point where they're justifying Mm. stuff or they're they're not even sure that – or they're not even aware that what they're doing is actually wrong and evil. And I'm really excited to look at specifically Jonathan as we get to that season because I think that Jonathan initially joined Warren and Andrew – because they were, they all had a commonality. They were outsiders. They weren't gonna hurt anyone. They were just doing stuff. And then over time, their pranks evolved into something more. And you can tell, you can see Jonathan become more and more uncomfortable with it as time goes on. And I agree with what you said earlier, Leah, about how Jonathan is not a victim because he still goes along with it even as he hijacks it. But I think it's important to remember that victims can also be abusers as well, um, and that abusers can also be victims. Like it's a vicious cycle. Generally people, there's there's a very small percentage of people in this world that are just born psychopaths that like do pure evil from when they're younger because no one has ever taught them that. Most everybody is has been abused themselves or has some sort of rationale for why they do things. And so I think for Jonathan – I don't excuse his behavior, but I think it's interesting to note that he's not 100% comfortable with what Warren is doing, even if he is complicit in what's happening. Yeah, I guess I understand that, but I also feel like his discomfort really doesn't matter when he doesn't do anything. Yeah, but I'm not saying that it does matter. All I'm saying is that it's good to understand where they're coming from, but it's also like I think that it's wise to look at something and go – it isn't necessarily black and white. Like it isn't just Jonathan is just an abuser. Jonathan is an abuser and a victim. And I think it's okay to look at and say, yeah, he's been treated horribly in his life. All this has happened to him. That is why he's doing what he's doing. It's not an excuse for why he's doing what he's doing, but we can have sympathy for that even while we're calling him to better behavior and we're we're wanting him to have a responsibility and take accountability for the wrong that he is doing, if that makes sense. All I'm saying is that I think that it's why – like you can have compassion and also say what you're doing is wrong and bad. You know what I mean? Unlike Warren where I'm like, no, 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 dude. I have no compassion for you. Absolutely not. Like I think that they have the three in the trio kind of on various uh, parts of the spectrum. Like Warren is just like straight up evil, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Jonathan is misguided evil. And then you have Andrew over there who I think is more complicit than uh, Jonathan, but not as complicit as Warren, because Andrew just desires for 
Warren's love and approval, but he also knows what he's doing is wrong versus Jonathan over there kind of didn't clue into a little bit later. And then once he figured it out, tried to help Buffy a little bit, you know? I think I have compassion for Jonathan up until season six, and it's not that I dislike him, but I like the fact that that we were able to see someone who was a victim turn into that. And I don't sure, think that he's sure. necessarily a victim while he's doing that. I think that he was. I don't think that he mm, is anymore. That's a good point. And yeah. I think that like in season six, I like the fact that they had somebody that we care for turn into that. Because like you said, Sarah, like I think it's important – or I, I don't remember if it was Sarah Leah. Uh, I think it's important to see the steps – leading up to that. And I like the fact that it wasn't somebody who was totally evil and that we expected it. It was somebody, like I said earlier, like even like characters that do stuff that that make you mad or frustrated as long as it makes sense. Like that I love, I much prefer that, you know, and I feel like most people do. So um, same thing with Willow too. Like I like it some, that it's somebody that we love when we, we grew up loving and like everything kind of like snowballed and everything kind of led into the other and, and her being abused, or abusing magic and having an addictive personality makes sense by the time it's season six. So I like the fact that, I mean, I guess both of them, like you grew up loving them, you watch them grow and you, you know, their inner dialogue and their inner struggle. Um, but I feel like at a certain point, everyone has moments like that in their life. And by the time that they're now the people hurting other people, like it's kind of like that whole, this whole thing in like Disney now where they're making all these like prequels to villains, but then they add too much stuff for the villains and then now they're yeah. no longer villains. And you're like, right. well, I, you can add a sob story, but at a certain right. point, like they, it's kind of like if everyone's seen like the Batman, the newer one, it's like the Riddler has a horrible backstory, but he still chose to be a murderer and have all these things. Like I don't have compassion for him, but like, I have empathy for the child that he was, but he also turned into sure. something evil. I think Jonathan is a little bit more nuanced than that. But I think that like I like – again, I'm repeating myself. But I like the fact that we saw where he came from, but where I'm right. still going to like analyze his actions. And I do like that he made it out somewhat. Um, but I like that they kind of made it nuanced and kind of like yeah. somewhat like messy because I think that that yeah. is how people are. Exactly. Right. And I love that it's a character that we have seen in good times and bad and we have seen in moments. And I mean, we'll talk about this in the spoiler section for the prompts. I don't want to talk about too much, but the fact that he's a part of like one of Buffy's greatest moments. And then he's also like one of the people that's causing her a lot of pain in season six. It's just, it's very interesting. So, um, okay. So Jonathan has appeared in five of the seasons of Buffy and he's actually in a total of 30 episodes in some form or another. So just for comparison, Faith is only in 20 episodes and Jonathan is second only to Joyce Summers in appearing in the most episodes of Buffy without being part of the main cast. Other characters such as Spike, Anya, Oz, and Riley were eventually elevated to main characters after initially reoccurring, and Tara actually appears in 46 episodes before she's made into a main cast member in her final episode. So it's kind of crazy thinking that Jonathan is in that many episodes. I don't know why Tara wasn't part of the main cast like long before. It's kind of an insult, to be honest. Like, well, I feel like she having... asked for that. She requested it. Requested what? To not be a part of the main cast. Why? Because she wanted to be freed up to be able to go do other projects during Buffy. Oh. 
Okay, mm-hmm. well that well then that's fine. But I thought this whole time it was just like them just deciding not to. I was like, just literally like in every episode. Like why not right. just have her be in the credits? Yeah, no, she she had planned um because and Seth Green talks about this too. Seth wanted to be a reoccurring character instead of a main cast member because if you're a main cast member, you're required to be on set for a certain amount of hours, even if you're not actually filming. And so that's a really that was a really hard thing for Seth Green because he wanted to go do all these other projects and Amber Benson wanted to do other projects as well. I don't know the conversation that went behind her being the main, like main billing for that one episode. Um, I know that was Joss intentionally trying to be vindictive with the audience and stuff. And I, I don't know if they got Amber Benson's permission if she only got billed for that one episode. I'm not sure. I'll have to look into that. But I do know that she wanted to have a little bit more flexibility and freedom. Which, I mean, Buffy hours were insane, so I don't blame her for that. All right, so the last thing that I have, just to kind of wrap up the Jonathan arc, I was really curious. And so I was like, you know what? I don't really remember very much about Jonathan's last living moments. Um, and I was I couldn't remember which episode he died in. And then it's in Conversations with Dead People, which is a fantastic episode um, and quite a – not a large portion, but a sizable portion of that episode is devoted to Andrew and Jonathan having conversations. And so I went back and I watched his final like couple of scenes and I was actually like really, really moved by what he said. So I'm going to play um, this this clip of Jonathan talking right before, not right before, but like a scene or two before Andrew kills him um, because I think it's really, really impactful and it's a good reminder to this episode. Dude, the last few years trying to forget about high school. Why are you trying so hard to remember it? I don't know. I guess I miss it. Don't you? Yeah, I really miss it. I'm serious. I really miss it. Time goes by and everything drops away. All the cruelty, all the pain, all the humiliation. It all washes away. I miss my friends. I miss my enemies. I miss the people I talk to every day. I miss the people who never knew I existed. I miss them all. I want to talk to them, you know? I want to find out how they're doing. I I want to know what's going on in their lives. You know what? They don't want to talk to you. All those people you just mentioned, not one of them is sitting around going, I wonder what Jonathan's up to right now. Not one of them cares about you. Well, I still care about them. That's why I'm here. Isn't that so cool, you guys? Because he's parroting what Buffy said to him in that clock tower when she's talking about how every person has pain. No one knows you exist because they're so focused on their own. And I really, really think that Jonathan took that to heart. Um, He internalized her message. And we see in this episode a much more confident compassionate and others focused guy. And it's all because of Buffy and what she did for him. And I just think that is so moving. I talked in the spoiler section about how I think there's a metaphor here for Buffy and how she can let her power get to her and lord it over others. Yet instead, she chooses to lean into her humanity and chooses to let empathy and humanity lead her in fighting for others. And in season seven, we find out that the Slayer is created from the essence of a demon and that they retain a bit of this. And her fear in season five and season seven is that she's going to lose 
her ability to love other people and her ability to be human, because that's what it means to be human, um, if she embraces more of her slayer side, and that becomes a huge fear of hers. And she actively refuses to accept more power from the shadow men desiring instead to retain her humanity. And I think that's a perfect representation of Buffy. Her compassion and love for others is her greatest strength. And I love that we see that echoed and mirrored in Jonathan. And I don't know, it's given me a whole new appreciation for his character arc. Uh, that seems kind of sad. Like I was like, dang, like, I mean, I remembered it. So I was like, I could just like, I just imagined like a second later him stabbing him to death. I'm like, that's literally so sad. Like, so how sad. do you, how are you, first of all, how are you best friends with someone like that? And then <laughs> them make a, like a statement and like a beautiful speech about that and then still sit there and kill them. I'm like, I retract everything I just said about Andrew, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That's so sad. It is sad. But I think it's also kind of beautiful that at the end of the day, like, Jonathan found his redemption. And I think that's really – I think that's great. And again, it all points back to Buffy. And I absolutely love that. I think Jonathan's ability to see things through Buffy's eyes for just a minute up in that clock tower and then again here, I think that shows that – he is a good guy ultimately. He just got caught up in the wrong crowd and he lost his way for a little bit, but he ended up finding it. So I don't know. All right, guys. Well, that is the end of the spoilers. Next week, we will be talking about choices. But before we end the episode, a little announcement. This is actually going to be the last spoiler section that we have for this season until we get to the live at the very end. Um, for those of you who are new, last year we did a live spoiler uh, recording where you guys got to call in and we did that for Becoming Part 1 and Becoming Part 2. And it was literally our most requested episode um, for this year as well. So I think we're going to bring that back. Uh, the date is to be determined. We'll let you guys know when that is. But just so you know, next week is going to be choices and then there will be no spoiler. We will go straight to the prom and then the two-part finale. And then after that will be the spoiler at some point. So just so you guys are aware. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. And we will see you guys next